Father, we, as Hyo, my brother, shared, um, we've, I pray that for, for, for spiritual eyes, we continue that prayer. May you give us healthy eyes, Lord, today. And the way that our eyes become healthy is for, is, is for our ears to listen to truth and for our minds to agree with your truth. We pray for that great persuasion. We pray for that clear vision so that, Lord, that through this time that you will once again use these words, Lord, to, to, to make us clear, make us mm, understand exactly what, we're life, what our lives here are about. Give us a clear vision of your kingdom. Give us a clear vision of your righteousness so that through this time, Lord, we will live in accordance to your will. All these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, I think someone asked me a couple of months ago, um, you know, how I'm so passionate about God, right? How I am so, what was their word? How, how I am all into God, right? That was their question. Um, and I think, I mean, I was thinking about that for the last couple of months. And I think the reason why I'm so passionate and you know, I, I don't know, to the extent what you, how you see me, I, I'm so into God, is not, it doesn't, that passion or drive doesn't come within me. It comes outside of me. And when I say it comes outside of me, God continually always intervenes and leads and, and, and preaches to me. And I see his involvement in my life just constantly, right? It doesn't mean I'm perfect, Ask my wife, ask my coworkers. They'll clearly tell you I'm not, I'm, I'm not perfect. I got, into, I got called the HR twice, I think, right? So clearly, I'm not perfect, right? But the reason why I'm so passionate about him is because he doesn't leave me alone. And he preaches and he shows me things every day, I think. And I start with, you know, this. I share, start with this sharing. It's because this past week, it was arguably one of the most stressful weeks of my professional career. I thought I was having a heart attack, right? Um, because the things were just going wrong every day last week, right? For example, one of the, on, on Wednesday, on Tuesday, I sent out a FedEx document to the government that has to get there by Wednesday. It has to get there by Wednesday, otherwise I'm toast, right? So I checked the FedEx, my paralegal sent it out, and I said, like, give me a confirmation if it's received, right? She said, okay. We're scheduled to have that package delivered by 10.30 a.m. to Arizona on Wednesday. And usually we get the confirmation like 11 a.m. our time. But I, after 11, 12, 1, 2, my paralegal didn't tell me that it was delivered. And I started to freak out, right? She didn't care. It wasn't, it wasn't her life, right? So I called FedEx, right? And I said, where is this package? She said, oh, that I called FedEx at like 3 o'clock. Oh, that package is still in Virginia. Why? Because there was a snowstorm in Memphis. Started freaking out again. 8 o'clock, I called them. Where is it? Oh, it's in Memphis right now. Will it get there in Arizona today? Oh, sure. I'll tell you every result later, right? Did you feel it, what I felt? I was checking FedEx until 1 o'clock in the morning. That kind of thing has happened multiple times this week. And I share this because is it an accident where when I'm preaching about anxiety, 
that this thing, these things happen on the week that I preached about anxiety. I think it's not, a, it's not an accident, right? Because stuff like this happens. He speaks to me. He leads me. He shows me things, right? And, and, and that's why I'm so... These words are not just theories to me, but these are actually events, right, that happens in my life. So today we're talking about, continue our series about anxiety, right? Um, and in particular, Jesus shares in these verses that we just read, Jesus shares there's three main causes of anxiety, right? Last week we talked about how life, it is inevitable that we will have things that trouble us. That's what verse 34 is about. Jesus says, right, in this world that you have many troubles, and each day has its own troubles, which means it is natural thing, right, for us to be anxious in this world. Like, I said, like we shared last week, even Jesus Christ himself, right, before he went to the cross, was anxious, right? So once again, we talked about how, last week, how it's not a sin to be anxious, but it is a sin to dwell in your anxiety, it is, it is natural human condition to be anxious when trouble comes. But what is sin is if we choose to dwell in our anxious state. And the way we overcome anxiety, the way we not stay in our anxious state, and the way we, the way we fight anxiety, is we got to know the causes of our anxiety and Jesus' solution to, that, to those anxieties. To properly fight anxiety, you got to know the causes, like a doctor, and you got to know the solutions. And Jesus offers, in these verses, the cause of our three major causes of anxiety and three solutions of how we overcome it. And the way you know this is, in today's, what, nine verses that we read? There are three verses that starts off with the word, therefore. That would be verse 25, verse 31, verse 34. Verse 25, 31, 34 starts out with the word, therefore. The word therefore, if you translate it to English, right, the Greek into English, it means because of. So in verses 25, verses 31, verses 34, Jesus says, these are the reasons of why you are anxious. 24, 31, 25, 31, 34, Jesus explains the causes of our anxiety. And all the verses that, that come between verses 24 and 20, 31, and, the verses, and, and, and in verse 34, Jesus offers a solution to these anxieties. So there are three main causes of our anxieties, and we'll examine today each one. Well, according to, so let's talk about causes of anxiety number one. The causes of anxiety number one, according to Jesus, is our blindness to the sovereignty of God and our blindness to the fact that he is our Father. Because we are blind to the sovereignty of God and the power of God, and because we are blind to the truth that God is our Father, we are anxious. So, let's talk about this. So, there are a couple of things that make me realize the sovereignty of God this week. One of the first things that made me realize the sovereignty of God in the last couple of weeks is, last, couple of, uh, last Tuesday, I took a day off and I went to the art museum with my wife. National... What is a gallery of art? Is my wife's second favorite place in D.C. First place being Kennedy Center. I pour a lot of money into the Kennedy Center. But National Gallery of Art is free. Yay. Besides the $23 parking that you've got to park right next door. So we went to the National Gallery of Art. And we were walking in the middle of the afternoon. It was fantastic. No one was there. It was the middle of the afternoon. Who goes to the art museum besides like old people and people to play hooky? So you go. You go to the National Gallery of Art. 
and I stopped by the Van Gogh. You know, you gotta stop by the Van Gogh, Van Gogh, right? Because, you know, how many artists do I really know besides Van Gogh? When I was dating, I researched it before, and I was like telling her all these different types of painting. Married 20 years, I don't do that, right? So you go, you go to Van Gogh, and, you listen, and I looked at Van Gogh, and there was this like, I forgot the name of the piece, it's the wheat field. Van Gogh painted a, like a field of wheat. Maybe that's what it's called, like field of wheat. And I was fascinated by that painting. I just stared at it for five minutes. And the reason why I was so fascinated by that painting is Van Gogh is picturing a, a, wheel, a wheat field, I think in the middle of, in, in the fall or something. And the wind was blowing in the field. And the way he drew, painted that scene, it conveyed how his passion for that nature, but it also conveyed the detail of his, of his work. If you look at the painting like, carefully, you can see how he used each like, paintbrush. Each stroke of the paintbrush was carefully drew, like carefully, what, what do you call it, artist? Carefully painted? He painted so carefully. The colors that he uses were such detail. You could see his passion in that painting. You could see his painstaking detail in that painting. And I was fascinated. This led me to think. Van Gogh was able to paint that scene in such detail because he's made in the image of God. And our God is a great artist. As Van Gogh painted that scene in such detail, God paints everything in creation with such perfect detail. There is no square inch of this universe that is not painted by God in such precise, pristine, amazingly beautiful detail. Look at the, look at the world, right? Look at you, so beautiful, right? But look at Everything in creation. We know that song that we sing sometimes? The whole earth is filled with your glory, Lord. We didn't sing that song. We sang that song in the retreat. The whole earth is filled with your glory, Lord. That is based on Psalm. And the psalmist is saying, the whole creation of the world testifies to your great artistry. Do you know that? Do you know the universe is filled with his beauty? Look at the pictures of the, the Hubble telescope captured the universe in color. It is the most amazing thing you've ever seen. The, 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 the beautiful colors that the universe and the gases and all the universe, in, like, like, you know, makes. God is a great artist. And everything in the universe testifies to his great artistry. Second thing that reminded me of God's sovereignty is I got a new toy, Right? I got the Peloton. I got, new, I got a new toy, right? I know you, you don't judge me, man, right? I got, I, got, I got exercise. I can't exercise during the weekday, so I have to exercise at 1 a.m. at night. So Peloton is my 1 a.m. workout buddy, right? But when, you, when, when it came, when they assembled it for me, it was the best-looking machine I've ever seen. I was in love with it. And, I, and it comes with a, touch, a huge touchscreen, and, like, and you click on, the graphics are amazing. The workouts are amazing. It is the most amazing thing ever. The engineering of that bike, the engineering of the touchscreen was amazing. And I got to start thinking. 
the makers of Peloton can design such an amazing machine because they're made in the image of God. And God is the great engineer. God is the greatest engineer ever. Human beings are able to make the iPad. Human beings are able to make the Peloton. Human beings are able to make your TV. Human beings are able to create this wonderful thing because we're made in the image of God, who is a great engineer. Everything in the universe, everything in your body, the way your neurons fire off in your brain, the way your cells replicate, the way your body heals itself is a testament to God's great engineering design. There is nothing in the universe that escapes his precise engineering mind, his engineering hand. Everything was engineered by the hand of God. The second, the third thing that reminded me of God's sovereignty, when I was stressed out about the FedEx delivery that happened on Tuesday, I was driving to work. I was so stressed out of my mind. You know what comforted me in my drive to work when I was stressed out? I would drive, I would drive into D.C., and there's, like in Arlington, you pass by Arlington. I love Arlington. Yay, Arlington. And I see the leaves changing colors. Most of it, has, most of it are, you know, are dying. They're on the floor. But there are some leaves that, that has this great color. And I got to think, start thinking, who is responsible for those, that changing color of that leaf? Who made it? Who gave life to that tree? And who, did, who allowed that tree to flourish and change color? It is God. God is the power that creates life and that sustains life. God is the power. The, one, of the name, one of the names of God is I am. And one of the meaning of the word I am means he is the source of power. And the power means he gets things done. Power means he gives life to dead things and he sustains life to all things. It is in the hand, because of the hand of God that your cells are replicating the way they are doing. It is because of the hand of God that your heart is pumping and because of the hand of God that your kidneys are functioning. It is because of the hand of God. He's giving you life power in your body so that you can live. Why do I say all these things? Why do I say, why do I testify to all these things about who God is? It's because the reason why we're anxious is because we don't see God that way. We don't see God that way. The great tragedy of sin, and the great tragedy of sin is even though this is God's world and God's time and God's universe, we don't see it that way. We think that we are all alone. Look at Jesus. Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They don't work 40 hours work week. They don't need a peloton to exercise or they're going to die. They, they fly around. They don't labor or toil, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Which means Jesus is testifying to the life-preserving nature of God. God preserves the life of each bird. Jesus says, look at the lilies of the field. They're gorgeous. Solomon was a rich guy. Solomon was known for his clothing. Solomon was a dapper guy. The most expensive materials, everything. He adorned himself with the most impressive fabrics. But Jesus is saying, look, even the lilies of the field that you see, they're more gloriously adorned than Solomon. Jesus is testifying to the artistry of God. Jesus is testifying to the artistry of God, the creation of God, the power of God. 
But human beings don't see that. By our natural state, we are born blind. We are born blind to the artistry of God. And because we are born blind, we think our lives, we, we think that we are responsible. We think we are responsible to take care of ourselves. We think we are responsible for you know, taking care of our families. And if we think that it, is, it, is, it, is, it, it, it depends on our hands to, to, make, to, to make sure that we have the necessary things to live life. Jesus says, do not worry about what you will eat, what you will drink, or what you will wear. Jesus is talking about the necessities of life. Jesus is not talking about you know, greed or anything like that. In these verses, he's talking about the necessities of life. Jesus says, do not worry about what you, the bare necessities of food, drink, and clothing. But the reason why we worry about the bare necessities of food, drink, and clothing is because we think that if we don't, it is up to our hands, it is up to us to, to, to somehow provide for ourselves the food and the drink, right, and the clothing that we need to live. Because we're blind to the things of God, we think it is within our hands. We are responsible for, for making us live. Everything creation says it is in the, in the hands of God. It is God's hands that provide and that sustains life. Because we're blind to God, we think it is, it is, it is, it is up to us to make us alive. I'll give you an example. When the FedEx incident happened, where does my mind go? My mind goes, if this, because of this FedEx happened, the client's going to get angry, the client's going to get angry, my partner's going to get angry, and I'm going to get fired. If I get fired, right, I'm not going to have this job anymore. If I don't have this job anymore, I'm going to lose the house, I can't pay for my food, my kids will, you know, we'll be out in the streets, like, begging for food. That's how my mind goes. That's where my mind goes. The FedEx is more than my clients getting mad. The FedEx is, if, because of this happening, I'm going to lose my job and therefore I'm going to die. Drama queen? Little bit. But underneath that fear of the FedEx is the fear, that it is understanding that it is up to my hands to provide for my family. It is up to my hands to make my family live. It is, I'm the caveman, right? And I need to go and kill animals to provide for my family. I think it is up to me to make me alive and to make my family live. That's why you're anxious. And that's why I'm anxious. Clearly, the Bible says, God provides. God is the giver and sustainer of life. In our blindness, we think, no, he's not. I am. I'm the sustainer of my life. I'm the sustainer of my family. If I fall, then my family's going to die. You see what we're doing? We think we're the provider, that we're the giver of life. And that's such stress to a human being. That is not our responsibility. God is the giver of life, you know. But because we're blind to him, we think it is up to us. We're anxious because we don't realize the sovereignty of God. The second reason why we're blind is not only the fact that we don't recognize that we're anxious, it's not only because we don't recognize the sovereignty of God, it's because we're not, we don't really believe that God is our Father. 
Jesus says, look at the lilies, look at the birds of the air. They neither labor nor toil, but your heavenly Father feeds them. Jesus asks us, are you not more valuable than the birds? He says, your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Your heavenly Father will provide for you. Jesus says, look at the lilies of the field. They're gloriously adorned. But he says, will your Father, he says, will your heavenly Father not much more clothe you than they? Jesus is saying, because your heavenly Father is your heavenly Father, if he's taking care of the birds and the lilies of the field, if you are a son of God, you are more valuable than the lilies and the birds. Because your heavenly Father, because he is your heavenly Father, he will take care of you. But the problem is, we're not convinced that he is our heavenly Father. That's the problem. The reason why we're so anxious it's because we may intellectually agree that, that He is our Heavenly Father, but our hearts are not persuaded by it. Because our hearts are not persuaded by the fact that He is our Heavenly Father, we think it is up to us to provide for ourselves. Why are we not convinced that He is our Heavenly Father? There is one thing to think that He is your Heavenly Father, and there's another, one, another thing to be absolutely convinced that He is. To overcome anxiety, you need to be convinced that He is your Heavenly Father, that He will take care of you. Why are we not convinced that He is our Heavenly Father? It's because the gospel is not real to us. Paul says, you were bought at a great price. You were purchased through the blood of Christ. The gospel is, Jesus Christ paid and gave up His life suffered the wrath of God, was dead and buried, was a, and was resurrected to adopt you as sons. If you truly knew the work of Christ that, that he has done on your behalf, if you are truly convinced that you are adopted at a great price, will you not be convinced that he's your father? How do I get, how do I get overcome anxieties usually? I remember the gospel. Amazing love, how can it be that you, my king, would die for me? Amazing love, I know it's true. It's my joy to honor you. When I remember the gospel, I am convinced that he is my heavenly father, that I am adopted at a great price. And when I realize I am adopted at a great price, I realize he's going to take care of me. The, the Lord who died for you, the God the Father who killed his son for you to adopt you, will he not take care of you? Will he not take care of you? Is he like the American dad? When you turn 18, you go, he goes, good luck, good luck, son. Good luck, Godspeed. A, a friend of mine, when he turned 18, he told his dad, dad, I want to go to college. And his dad says, that's a good idea, son. How are you going to do it? Is God like that? Is God saying, okay, good luck to you, guy? No. He is the sovereign king. He is the great engineer. He is the great powerful provider who will take care of his children. You are more valuable to him than anything, even more than angels that you are more valuable to him. Because you're worth the blood of his son. Troubles will come your way. Jesus guarantees it. 
right? In verse 34, troubles will come your way. How do you overcome it? No, God the Father is God the King is your heavenly Father through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's how you overcome anxiety. So Jesus says, you're anxious because you are blind to the sovereignty of God. You are anxious because you are blind to the fact that he is your heavenly father. Third reason, another reason, cause of anxiety, verse 30, what is it, verse 31? What does verse 31 says? Verse 31, Jesus says, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. Jesus is saying the reason why, men, why, we, why we are anxious is because we seek after the same thing as the Gentiles. One of the key cornerstones of our anxiety, the causes of our anxiety, is because we chase after the same thing as the Gentiles. Who is a Gentile? In the Old Testament, Gentile was a non-Jew. A non-Israelite was a Gentile. What this means is, if Israelites are the people of God, the Gentiles are the people who are not, who are the group of people who are not the people of God. Gentiles are people who are ignorant of the true God. Gentiles are those who do not know God, who do not care about God, who are ignorant of one true God. Then what do the Gentiles live for? Gentiles live for, to, to, Gentiles live to answer the question, what they will wear, what they will drink, what they will, what they will wear, what they will drink, what they will eat. Jesus is saying, Gentiles, people who are ignorant of God, what they live for are the visible, measurable things of life. Because they do not know God, because they are spiritually blind, what they are focusing on is what they can see and touch and measure. When I was a younger man, I thought I was, I was a good Christian, I thought. I went to church, did Bible study, was a funny guy, right, all that stuff. But ever since I was a kid, even in my church-going days, I had a certain vision for my life. And that vision for my life is very, it wasn't, I wasn't, I, I'm that ambitious guy, but I just wanted a certain vision for myself. And that vision was, what was that vision? It's to have a house somewhere in Northern Virginia. It's to have a, you know, a good career, preferably as a lawyer, have a, you know, a beautiful, one boy, one girl, and married to, I mean, I guess married comes first and then kids, right? Being married, living an upper middle class existence. That's the vision I had for myself. And that vision led me to do things, to realize that vision. I didn't want to be CEO of a, CEO of a company. I didn't want to change the world. I just wanted a nice, comfortable existence. Comfortable existence, house in the burbs, a respectable career, one girl, one boy, a wife. Seems reasonable, doesn't it? According to Jesus' words, that makes me a Gentile, a, people who do, a person who doesn't know God. There's nothing wrong with having a job. No, there's nothing wrong with having a house. Of course not, clearly not. But what made me a Gentile was I thought that's what life was about. I could teach Bible studies about God. I could teach Bible studies of the love of God. But at the end of the day, what, what dictated my behavior was to gain these things that I can see and measure in this world. 
practically living for the kingdom of God really wasn't my interest. Because my interest lied in the realization of that vision that I have for myself. What is the vision that you have for yourself? Is it the same vision as good old Gentile PJ had? Is it a house in the burbs? Is it a respectable career? 1.2 kids? Once again, all fine things to have. But if that's how you define what life is supposed to be, and if that is the only thing that you strive for, if you think that your life here, in your short, brief lifespan here, if you think that is what your brief, short lifespan is about, then Jesus says, you're a Gentile and you don't know God. Because Gentiles don't know God, they live for the visual things. And the the visual things that they live for, it's not just things, right? For example, for Gentiles, for unbelievers, a house is not just a house. It shows your status in society. Money is not, your bank account is not just a bank account. You think your bank account is a measurement of your security. A bag is not just a bag, right, ladies? It is a symbol of how much your husband loves you. In the moment, you can buy your own bag, I understand. But getting it as a gift is better, right? I understand. Fellas, a car is not just a car. It's a status symbol showing other people where you are in life. You see what's happening here? Gentiles live for the visible, measurable things. But when they live for the visual measure of things, they impose spiritual values onto these things. That's what Gentiles do. A long time ago, before my, you know, the conversion days, I saw this, like, there was a clip. I saw a clip of this movie called American Psycho. Don't watch it. It's very hard. It's like very, right? But there's a clip in that movie where the the, the main character is a sociopath. Furthest from the child of God ever. But because he's a sociopath and he doesn't know God, what he lives for is a measurable, visual thing. And in this movie, there's a scene where it is in the conference table. He's an investment banker in New York. And they're comparing business cards. The thickness, the paper, the color, the, 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 the font of the business card. He, he, and the main character, he, he presents his business card very proudly. I got it yesterday from the printers, he says. He, he presented it to his coworkers. And his coworkers go, oh! But his rival was Paul Allen. And he said, I want to see Paul Allen's business card. And someone showed him Paul Allen's business card. And the guy freaked out. He said, oh my goodness, look at the thickness of the paper. Oh my goodness, he even has a watermark. He felt like a failure over a business card. You laugh at it. How much of spiritual value do you put on material things? How much spiritual value do you put on what you do for a living? How much spiritual value do you put on the car that you drive and the name value of the company that you work for? If you're constantly assigning spiritual value to material things, you are a Gentile. You do not know God. Because you do not know God, you're anxious. Because you're assigned spiritual value to these material things, you're afraid that you're not going to get what you think that will give you. If, if material things are, are, are spiritual instruments in your head, you're either going to worry about not getting these things that you think are important, or you're anxious about losing these things that are important. We, we, are, we 
we worry because we live like the Gentiles. Our values are like the Gentiles. What is the solution to this anxiety? Jesus says, don't live like the Gentiles. Seek after the kingdom of God and his righteousness. How do you overcome anxiety? You become seeker of God's kingdom and his righteousness. For the Gentiles, purpose of life is to get stuff, accumulate stuff. That's the purpose. That's what they seek after. That's what they think life is about. Gentiles, like Gentile PJ, think life is about getting stuff, right, and keeping stuff. Jesus says, if you're a child of God, your life is about being seeking after God's kingdom and his righteousness. What does it mean for, for us to seek the kingdom of God? In our kingdom of God is, a, is the place, is the realm, is the reality in which God will reign personally. And that kingdom is coming. It is, an it is an inevitable kingdom. It is coming. And, and for the child of God, it is, our life here is a brief prelude to the coming kingdom. This time and space that we have right, that we are living right now, it's a brief visit. It, it really, it, it is. It is a brief visit. I'm almost 50. Feel like 16, but I'm 50, and I'm I'm gonna die soon. It's a very brief visit this time and space that we occupy. The true reality is in the coming kingdom. Are you going to occupy this brief moment that you visit here into the accumulation of stuff? Are you going to invest your heart and mind to the to the accumulation of stuff? No. Jesus says. Don't waste your life in this brief, short visit accumulating stuff like the Gentiles. Live for the kingdom that is to come. Your short visit here is to live in accordance to the ethics of the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? It is the kingdom where God personally dwells. And in your short visit here, you live seeking after God and what he thinks is important. In your short visit here, live to accumulate the treasures of the inevitable coming kingdom. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't be so obsessed of what you have, what you achieve in this short visit here. Your obsession about what you achieve here in this short visit here, that's the root cause of anxiety. Care about, live for, the kingdom of God. When you are born again, when Christ saves you, you are no longer citizens of this world. You are citizens of the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying, live in accordance to your citizenship. God's kingdom is a kingdom where God is revealed clearly. Your purpose here in this world is to reveal God in all that you do, especially among the non-believers. The best way you live for the kingdom of God is to be used by God to reveal who he is to your unbelieving people, friends, family around you. Living for the kingdom of God is evangelism. Living for the kingdom of God is to be used by God for the sake of salvation of other people. Living for the kingdom of God is revealing who God is in everything that you do. Let's look at your job. 
Your job is not just Gentiles. They look, at you, they look at their jobs. Your co-workers, your unbelieving co-workers will look at their jobs as a means to an end. They will look as a means to money so they can, so they can buy a house or accumulate stuff. They'll, use, they'll look at it as a means to success. They'll look at it as a means to make a name for themselves. That's how your unbelieving co-workers view their jobs. Your view of your job is to reveal God in your workplace through your excellent work, and especially through your prayers, love, and concern for your co-workers, is to pray that God will use you to reveal himself at your workplace, in the hearts and minds of your co-workers, in the hearts and minds of your family members. That's how you look, for, that's how you look at your job. God says, the necessities of life, what you would need to live, I will provide for you. Don't live for those things, but rather focus your job. Look at your job as a kingdom-building job. Your job is not just the means to pay the mortgage. God has placed you at your place of work and the people around you so that you can build his kingdom in that place of work. God has placed you in crazy family members so that he can build his kingdom amongst your crazy family members. That's how you're supposed to live in your brief visit in this world. And it is brief, especially when you have kids. Oh, it is brief. Live for the right things. Live for the things of the inevitable kingdom of God. When your priorities are set straight, the things of this life will not cause such anxiety in you. Let us, let's say the FedEx thing happened and I get fired. Is that the end of my life because I lost a lucrative job? No, God's going to place me somewhere else. Maybe I'll drive Uber. But if I'm an Uber driver, I'll preach the gospel. Maybe I'll get a really low rating. Where are you going? Do you believe in Jesus? Maybe I'll do that. My position, how high I've become, what I get, it's not the important thing, right? It is the coming kingdom that's the important thing. When you live for that coming kingdom, things of this life, the importance of the things of this life will go away. And when it does, you'll be free from anxiety. Not only is your brief visit here living for the seeking after the kingdom of God, Jesus says also seek after God's righteousness. So your brief visit in this world you are to seek the righteousness of God. What is the righteousness of God? It is God's right moral standards. In your very brief moment in this world, you are to seek after living in accordance to his righteousness. Which basically means you got to think right, you got to feel right, and you got to act right. There is right and wrong in this world. There is a right way to think and the wrong way to think. There's a right way to feel and the wrong way to feel. There's a right decisions to make and the wrong decisions to make. There is a right and wrong. The righteousness of God is here. And you are called to, for the brief moment of time to spend your days living, thinking, feeling righteous things. That's what this life is for. Everywhere, everyone around you is crazy because they do not know the righteousness of God. You are called to be normal. Jonathan Edwards, a great preacher, 
He says the way you know a Christian is becoming mature in faith is if that person becomes more normal. The way you, the, the way you know you're becoming, God is intervening in your life is you're becoming, you're becoming a more normal human being. Because God has made you into his image and his image, his ethics, his morality is the norm. It is. The way, when you draw near him, you will become more normal. Your thinking will become more normal. Your feeling will become more normal. Your actions will become more normal. Look, gossiping about someone is not normal, y'all. I was listening to like a podcast at, at like driving, and the person says, oh, pornography is healthy and normal. I go, no, it ain't. This world thinks pornography is normal and healthy. They're crazy. You don't think like them. You think righteously. In your relationship with your spouses, in your relationship with your children, strive to think normal thoughts. How do you think normal thoughts? You dwell in the presence of God with his word and prayer. That's how you do it. The reason why I pray, one of the many reasons why I pray is I become sane when I pray. And I, as I walk, as I pass, as I start thinking about God and his word, I, I, I feel my mind getting organized. And as my mind getting, gets organized, I feel my feelings become better, more organized. You spend your days chasing after God's thoughts. When you do, you become more normal. Everything that you do, every entertainment, every place, every event that you go through, think about God. I was watching a YouTube channel about the Mandalorian. So Mandalorian is like, you know, the new TV show. And like YouTube gave me the history of the Mandalorians, what they're about. Right? Mandalorian is a race of aliens. Blah, blah, blah. Like they were powerful, they were warriors, but one warrior, like one leader, wanted to make, wanted to, wanted a more diplomatic approach while the other clansmen, so there was a war. There's all this history about a make-believe planet called Mandalore. And as I was, as I was watching that YouTube, I go, huh. Mandalorians are sinners. Mandalorians want peace, but there's a war within them. They want peace, and yet they want to rule. It is an eternal conflict, just like the human mind. Mandalorian, you think about God. Peloton instructor, they preach to you. They do, they really do. They go, you can believe in yourself. Yesterday I was like pedaling, and the Peloton instructor says, you can believe in yourself. And I go, no, no, I can't. Oh, that's what the unbelieving world thinks, that I have the power within me. I don't have the power within me. God has the power within me. Every single event that you go, whether it is a comic book movie that you watch, whether it is an exercise class that you take, whether it is a podcast that you listen to, think after God's thoughts. Right? Don't turn the thought of God off when you leave this place. Leave it on constantly. Everything, interpret things through the eyes of God and what it means for Him. That's how you're supposed to live in this world. Seek after the things of God. Seek after His righteousness, His thoughts, His feelings, His actions. That's how you live. Unbelieving world believes in two cars, I don't know, a house, and in, in a garage, whatever it is. They live for those Amassing those stuff. You don't live like that. 
You live for the kingdom of God and His righteousness. When you do, you will be set free from anxiety. The last cause of anxiety, Jesus says in verse 34, is tomorrow. Is the unknown tomorrow. Oh, tomorrow, what's going to happen tomorrow? Yeah, I don't know. One of my friends at work, he had a girlfriend, healthy as you can be, you and me. In one moment, she had a stroke. And she was in a coma for three days, like, like a week. And when she woke up, her brain function was significantly deteriorated. In one moment, it happened that way. In one moment. A healthy young woman had to learn to speak again. You do not know what's going to happen tomorrow. You do not know. And because we don't know, it scares us. Where will I be? Will I be married? Will I have kids? Will I be staying in the same job? What will happen to you tomorrow? How does Jesus comfort you? It's interesting how Jesus comforts you in verse 34. He says, you will have, she says, how do you, Jesus comforts you by saying, let tomorrow worry about yourself because there will be more troubles coming tomorrow. Jesus says each day they'll have, each day, God has allowed each day to have its own troubles. Between now and when the kingdom of God comes, the, 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 the days of between the now and kingdom of God, there will be days of trouble, Jesus says. But don't focus on the troubles what you do not know tomorrow. Focus on the troubles today. Because God's grace is given on a daily basis. Do you know that? How did my FedEx things got reserved? Conclusion of my sermon. 2 a.m., I checked the delivery. And it says they got delivered on time, the day that I wanted to. At 10 p.m., they said the package was in Memphis. And by 2 a.m., the package was in Arizona. How is that possible? How is that possible? How is it possible that the package got delivered on the exact moment that I wanted to get delivered? I don't know. Miracle of God, I think. But you don't think I'm going to face another problem tomorrow at work? When I look at the FedEx delivery, I teared up and I praise the Lord. I really did. But you think that's going to last when I face another problem tomorrow? No, I'm going to start freaking out again. And I have to fight anxiety all over again. But the great thing about the love of God is every day you have source of anxiety, but every day he will help you meet it. He really will. And that's the thing. He allows trouble for each day so that you will go to him each day, so that you'll be reminded that he is sovereign, that you'll be reminded that he is your heavenly father, that, he, that, that, that to remind you to live for the things of God. He, will, he allows trouble so that you will go to him. And when you go to him, he will help you find solutions. He really will. He always does. Troubles will come tomorrow. They will. But he's going to help. Believing in that helps you overcome the anxiety of tomorrow. Don't you feel good now? I, I feel good. I think it's a good sermon. Go remember these things. When you are tempted to be anxious, remember these things and fight it with God. Let's pray.
are you anxious this morning? Are you anxious about, you know, what's going on at home, what's going on at work? Are you anxious about not having a job? Or are you anxious about the job that you have? Are you anxious about the fact that you don't have a boyfriend, girlfriend, or fiancé? Or are you anxious about the fact that of, of the person, because of the person that you're married to? There are sources of anxiety that come from all places. But understand, God designed those sorts of anxieties. And he, he unleashed the sorts of anxieties to you so that you will come to him. Let's pray that God will open your eyes to see his sovereignty. That God will open your eyes to see the fact that he is your loving heavenly father through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That he will open your eyes to see that life, is, life in our short visit here is not about accumulation of stuff, but, li- but living for the kingdom of God. Pray that you will, be, you will be thinking thoughts after God and pray that God, pray for faith and, and, and depend on God for the troubles today for he will, help, he will de- deliver you from these things. Think about these things and let's pray to God to help you in, the, in your time of anxiety. Let us pray.